Hello, you're listening to the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name is Valerie Koo and you can find us online at sydneywriterscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips and valuable ideas on how to get published and write with confidence. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. Our team is passionate about all things writing, and in these podcasts, we'll be talking to best-selling authors on their craft. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Nicole Bernier is a feature writer, editor, and now novelist. Her debut novel is The Unfinished Journals of Elizabeth D. She lives in Boston with her husband and five children. Nicole completed her Master's in Journalism at Columbia University and in 1993 received an award for her literary journalism. For 14 years, she was a contributing editor at Condé Nast magazine. She has also been a senior editor at Boston magazine. Over the years, she has written for Elle, Self, Health, Men's Journal, Child and Yankee. She is also a founder at the literary blog Beyond the Margins, which she contributes to regularly. Thank you for joining us, Nicole. It's so much fun to be here. Tell us a bit about the book, The Unfinished Journals of Elizabeth D. Well, I started writing it about seven years ago. I had never done any fiction at all. I'd always been a journalist um, for magazines. Um, But I had had an experience. I had lost a friend on September 11th, and I was um, sort of haunted by the notion of a lost mother. Um, She was a new mother of a six-month-old, and the thoughts kept dogging me for about five years. Sort of wondering, um, you know, how well we really know the people that that we lose after reading her obituaries, and not really feeling like they they reminded me of her. Um, so the novel that I created was a bit of catharsis. Um, it has nothing whatsoever to do with my friend, um, but the the story is kind of born out of some of the emotions and what with the the what ifs that were going on in my mind. And it's a story about a woman who inherits the journals of a friend who has died and learns that she doesn't know her friend nearly as well as she thought, including where the friend was actually going when she died. Um, but specifically and thematically, it's really about marriage and friendship and the mm. faces and the facades that we show one another and what we conceal and what it costs us to be so private. Mm. Um, so you use um, the journals of Elizabeth D as uh, a part of the narrative and the blurb on the book actually says before there were blogs, there were journals. Do you think blogs have actually replaced journals or is there still a place for the, the private journaling that you exploring the book? Well, I think journals are a very, um, a very different beast than blogs. I mean, journals are, and I started keeping journals when I was in junior high, and I kept them for a few decades, and it's really the sort of place where a person um, sorts out the big decisions in life, and you, and you are speaking to yourself privately without an intention that anyone else will see them. Um, and really, in the best of them, I think, it's sort of, you, at least for me, um, asking yourself, what, what would the wisest person that I can think of counsel me about this situation that I'm in right now? And if you dig deep enough inside, you usually do find the answer for yourself. Um, the difference with blogs, of course, is that even the most candid and the most sincere of blogs are always written with, it, with a consciousness of other eyes on it. So you just don't have that same level of candor and openness. There's a certain amount of posturing, even if it's very candid posturing. Yeah. So as a writer, did you find keeping that very private journal helpful to your craft? 
you know, I didn't realize it at the time, and I never thought that that's what I was doing. Um, I think it, for me it was just um, kind of a combination of sorting out the big questions in life, but also just exercising creativity in a way of observing, observing things that were going on around me and things I was experiencing. Um, and eventually, that I think that the habit of describing things and sorting things through in words came through in my writing. I mean, I worked for a travel magazine for many years, Condé Nast Traveler, and that's a very descriptive sort of journalism, and um, it definitely fed into, you know, the habits of description that I'd, I'd kind of gotten in the routine of through keeping a journal. Hmm. So uh, you've mentioned that you're a journalist for a long time, and um, this novel is your first. What was the biggest challenge you faced going from writing as a journalist to writing as a novelist? You know, it's funny because in a way all of it was new to me, um, but certain things weren't. Um, the things that I sort of had more under my belt that I gave myself credit for was a sense of describing um, places and characters in a, with a journalistic eye to detail, um, but with a descriptive. And even in a travel article, you have the, the plot has a narrative arc. Otherwise, it doesn't read like a story. The things that were new to me was literally creating a plot that would last over the course of 300 pages. And if you have things that you're revealing about a character slowly, um, it's keeping the reader's interest and doling out information like breadcrumbs almost. Like you're kind of giving them a little bit here, a little bit there, leading along a trail. And keeping that tension right, you know, keeping the amount right of what you give away and what you keep close so that you're not giving them too much and you're not giving them too little. Um, and I just kept going back to what I like most as a reader. Um, when I read something that's subtle and I get it and I pick up on the little clues that are going along, all the little breadcrumbs, it makes me feel um, gratified and appreciated as a reader that the author felt that I was smart enough and they didn't need to spoon feed it to me. Yeah, yeah. So really this would have been quite a challenging novel because you've, <laughs> you're essentially trying to tell two stories here um, and you know, presumably keeping those things close enough to each other that the, the entire narrative made sense would have been quite hard. Yeah. So how did you go about planning this book? Oh, it's funny that you say that because I thought that this was, you know, I've kept journals for, <laughs> for many years and I thought, well, surely this is a fairly easy way to go about a first novel because half the person's story is being told through their journals. And it wasn't until the book was out in galley form and I was getting blurbs from authors that I had some fairly prominent authors saying to me, why on earth did you choose such a difficult format for your first book? Um, I think for me, I had to get a handle on both characters first and who they were. Um, the Elizabeth character is never living in the course of the book, except through flashbacks. And so to get to know her, um, what I did is I started off writing her journals when she was 12 years old and wrote them through her entire life. And I had hundreds of pages of them. And then once I got to the end, um, I promptly threw away about 80% of it. And it, I don't know if that's the most efficient or normal way to go about it or what other authors do, but it's what I had to do to know who my character was. Um, and right. then develop the other half of the plot line, um, I was building it around the journals so that I was creating, like the, 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 the present tense of the book is a woman named Kate who inherits these journals and she's reading them during her family vacation on an island off the coast of Massachusetts. And so we have her reading them and in between doing different things with her family and having different problems with her husband. Um, but you need to have these journal excerpts interact with, with Kate's life in a significant and poignant way. Otherwise, it just seems like a jumble. And so that's where kind of the puzzle pieces came in. We're trying to figure out where everything would fit together. And I had a, one of those gigantic whiteboards against the wall where I had two huge timelines. The one represented Elizabeth's life and one represented Kate's life. Hmm. 
just back to um, your writing life, I suppose. You you were a journalist for a very long time. Did you ever plan to write a novel, or did this come as a bit of a surprise? Well, I'd always loved fiction. I mean, I've been an avid reader of fiction, you know, forever. Um, but I didn't think I had a novel in me. I mean, I, the closest thing I came to it is, you know, the bad poetry that I wrote in college. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that we all probably have in drawers to varying degrees of embarrassment. And But but at this experience after losing my friend, I found myself writing things in my journal that um, didn't represent anything that I could write in a magazine article or that even necessarily belonged in my journal. I didn't know quite what I was working through. And then when it, when it started cropping up with scenes, and imagined scenes and made up people. Um, you know, the one thing as a journalist that is kind of the big no-no is verboten is uh, making things up. So that's when I kind of realized that I was on to something else completely. And it did take me um, a few months to kind of admit to myself that what I was doing was a novel. And uh, one of the hardest things about it was not just learning how to do a novel, but allowing myself to do this um, thing, which is so different from paid nonfiction journalism. I mean, when you are assigned a magazine article, the timeline of it is, you know, you get the assignment, you get the contract, you write the piece, you turn it in, you get the paycheck, and it's published. Um, and there's nothing like that in fiction whatsoever. You work at something for years and years that no one is waiting for, no one's paying you to do, and then you continue to revise it even more till people think that you're a little bit soft in the head because you keep working at this that nobody's waiting for. So uh, that was probably the hardest thing emotionally, was, the, was managing my own expectations and keeping at it. Yeah. How, how many drafts did this one take you, just out of curiosity? 576,037. <laughs> <laughs> so it felt like that. I don't even know how to answer the question because whenever I would sit down and write, I'd revise the chapter I just worked on before or the section I just worked on before and then move forward. And I was always going back and, and combing it over. And the only <clears throat> point of reference that I have is that it reminded me of constantly combing out long, snarled hair. And you're just going over it and over it and over it and going over different sections and going on to new sections. <clears throat> and so in the end, I don't know how many drafts it was. I know that it was after I was all done, as far as I had it done, and I got I queried an agent and I got representation, I went through it with her two more times. And then when I signed on with Random House, I went through it with them two more times. Right. Yeah. You know, it was at least 20 to 25 Um you know, and that would be being conservative. Yes. Uh, did you ever find yourself uh, doing that with your journalism or was that a very different way of writing? Oh, it's very different. With journalism, I mean, I'm pretty regimented, but you can always work. I, and I've always been a disciplined writer, but you can always work sort of at the last minute if you have to and kind of procrastinate things and then turn it out quickly and then sort of, you know, proofread it for a day or so and turn it in. And this is nothing like that. You really are going on and on. Um, with proofreading something and revising it um, beyond what seems, you know, sane and normal. Yeah. You also blog at Beyond the Margins, um, and you're one of the founding editors of that, I believe. Yeah. Tell us a bit about that. There were a dozen writers, um, all pretty much around the Boston area, and we had met through um, a number of writers. One of them was Jenna Blum, who wrote Those Who Save Us. She's a fantastic author. And we'd either taken classes through the writing center or taught classes there. And we sort of came together and we we're looking for a place where we could publish um, daily essays. And the idea in the beginning is that we were all sort of in the shoot towards getting a first novel published. And the idea would be that this would be a way to, you know, write daily essays that would sort of give us an excuse to be out on Twitter and Facebook and promoting our, our writing styles and our voices, but also to celebrate other authors. 
um, and interact with agents and editors and authors. And it would just become kind of an excuse to have a public relationship in this way. And it's, and it's fantastic. And, I, you know, in hindsight, I'm not even sure if it was quite that conscious, but we knew we wanted, you know, some kind of a, a platform and excuse to get together with others. And it, it's been fantastic because that's exactly what you do. If someone's book is coming out and you admire that writer, you contact them. We would contact them and do an interview or do a book review or ask them to do a guest post on what was the most challenging aspect of writing their book. Um, yeah. And that was just so exciting because then you can reach out. I interviewed Paul Harding, who won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction a few years ago. I interviewed Julia Glass twice, who was, you know, one of my um, kind of writerly crushes and idols. She wrote Three Junes, which is so lovely. Um, and it's just been a fantastic opportunity to meet people. Yeah, yeah. So with all this going on, and <laughs> you also have five children, I do. how do you fit your writing in? And, and do you have a daily routine that you force yourself to stick to? Oh, that's the dirty question. Mm. Um, I don't have a very rigid routine because the one thing about um, the family life that I found is that it breaks every rule of routines. And just when you think you're going to have a chunk of time to write, someone gets an ear infection or gets poked the wrong way and, and it all kind of falls apart. Um, I do have, when I started it, I had three children. I just had my third. Um, and I would have sitters come to the house probably four times a week and uh, for little chunks of time, and I would try to make that, um, you know, precious and untouchable, and I would just use that for my writing. And it was also nights and weekends at that point. I was still a night owl back then before I became um, so tired and, and useless at night the way I am now. And that, that time was really enough to get it done. Now I've had to become a little bit more regimented, and my youngest has just turned three, and so I don't have to be quite in the house in the same way. Um, afternoons is the time when I have sitters from about 12 to 5, and when I sit down to write... Um, I am so um, excited and anxious and focused on what I'm doing. There's really no room for procrastination anymore. I mean, there's nothing to, to really chase the procrastination right out of you, like having a house full of kids and limited babysitter hours. So I, when I sit down to write, I know what scene I'm going to work on or what blog post I'm going to write. Um, and I'm pretty focused in it because I know that that time is hard won. Mm-hmm. So now that you've had a taste of writing fiction, are you working on another novel? I am. I'm working it over in my mind, and I've got two sort of dueling ideas right now that I've outlined. Um, I'm still in the thick of the book tour right now, um, mm. but I'm sort of plotting it out in my mind, and I expect to start working on it in the next few weeks to do the actual writing. Are you excited about that? Very, very. I've read some books. I'm doing some research. Um, the idea that I'm that is probably haunting me the most um, takes place in the former Soviet Union in the late 1980s. So I'm starting to read some books about the dissolution of the um, former Soviet Union. And uh, and I, it's a time when I had actually visited there right after college. And um, I just find it a fascinating place and time. Yeah, there'll be some fascinating research in that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. Now, just one final question. Um, and I'm sure you get asked this all the time. What's your advice to budding authors? Oh, so many things. Um, I'd say the first thing is that you really... if. If you really love to write and you really cannot not write, that's the first thing. If you're forcing yourself to write, then don't put yourself through that torture. But if you really love it and you really, it's what you drift towards doing all the time, then make time to do it. Don't give it up. Um, make time to squeeze it in around the day job, around the kids, around paying the rent and doing the laundry and whatever it is. Make, make time for that. Um, I ended up giving up almost all my other hobbies um, and any TV shows I used to watch because this is the one thing that I could not do. And then um, when you get your manuscript as good as you can possibly get it, find a like-minded group of people that will critique it with you and help you to get it further. 
um, because you don't want to settle for publishing something that's just good enough. You really, it takes so long to get a book published that you really want your debut novel to represent your best work. So get a group of people that can help you push it even a bit further. Have a writing group, whether it's a writing center that you're taking classes through, um, so that you really get it tip top. And then when you start querying agents, do it and do it and do it and do it and make your query letter just lock solid. And don't take, um, don't take rejections too personally because there are so many reasons for being rejected. Um, and it could just be that someone woke up on the wrong side of the bed and they just broke up with their boyfriend that day and they don't feel like reading, you know, a book that has a romantic, you know, ending or something. Um, just stick with it because all it takes is one agent and then one editor who feels as strongly about the story as you do. And then they can take it to find its audience, which is, you know, the broader world. But all it takes is one representative who believes in it. Excellent advice. Thanks so much for your time today, Nicole. Um, enjoy the rest of the book tour. Thank you so much. And good luck with the book. I'm sure it will do brilliantly. I appreciate it. This is fun. Thank you. You've been listening to the team from the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online, including details about our courses, seminars and online learning programs where we help students from all over the world. I'm author of the book Power Stories, the eight stories you must tell to build an epic business. And you can find out more on my personal website, ValerieKoo.com. That's ValerieKoo, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.